Hello, everyone. I don't know how this is going to sound. I'm trying out a new headset, and also the weather is really bad where I am. And um, so if you guys could tell me how it sounds in the chat room. Of course, I really have no way of changing it at this point. It's also really weird because it's like I've I've got a full headset on, so both my ears are covered, and I kind of feel like I'm talking um, in a weird kind of vacuum. It's very weird. Anyways, so I hope it's um, mostly um, audible and all that shit. <laughs> Tonight's topic is um, also, I didn't dial in to like, I had 45 seconds to dial into the show when I realized I, what time it was. So I'm a little harried by, I hope it makes sense tonight. Okay, so tonight's topic is about the beginning. And since we're going to be doing short stories in July, um, I thought that I would um, talk about um, how to begin a short story. Because when you talk about the structure of a novel versus the structure of a short story, you have a very you have a small amount of space when you're working with 15K to set your story up. So when you're setting your story up for a short story, you need to um, just, for me, for me personally, and this is just how I like to do it, I like to start um, always in a moment, thing is about to change or about to move to the character. So your reader is like immediately drawn in to the story. And that uh, is especially important when it comes to the creation of a short story because of, again, word economics. I say it all the time. I totally mean it. The art of the short story is a... um, is it's a dying medium in um in a in the in the writing communities it's just because people like to write really long and that's especially true in fandom where there are no um limitations on your development and you can you can fork out 500k and your ears are going to be like yay i'm so excited you wrote 500k whereas a publisher will be like no I can't publish 500k. What were you thinking? That's not how this works. You're not, you're not J.K. Rowling. You can't write stories this big. Now, granted, she hasn't, but I think George R. R. Martin might have. We we discussed this once before, and those books are huge. But the average everyday author isn't going to come into a publisher with 500k and get published. you got to be really special for that kind of shit to happen, and it doesn't happen right out of the gate for practically anybody. We discussed it before, and um, the Chamber of Secrets, the first Harry Potter book, is the shortest, and it was her first book in the series before she'd proven herself to be a seller, before she'd proven that they could put out 100K in a YA novel and the kids would eat it up. So when you're um, starting a short story, it's especially important to kind of uh, pick a moment, pick a really heated moment to start your story. Um, Character faces a piece of news, 
a character new, a character is forced to make a decision. Um, they discover something about themselves. Just, it's really super important. It is the Philosopher's Stone. I always mix up those two or three first novels. Not like the content, but the the um, the titles sometimes. get confused in my head for some reason and I don't know why. Um, I do agree that uh, the Zone, or if you're in America, the Sorcerer's Stone was the best of all the Harry Potter books. Um, that being said, I tend to um, like The Prisoner of Azkaban best, just from a, um entertainment point of view. But from a craft point of view, easily the first book is the best one. So, okay. Um, in my three short stories last year, I began each one of them in a moment of change. In 10 years after the war, it starts with Hermione coming online. Um, in her moment of change, and the ramifications of that event ripple throughout the entire short story. And from blue to green, I started with John at the SGC coming to terms with the fact that his – is that where I started that? See, I should have read these things before I got on the radio show. But regardless, it's important to start your story in a moment, especially a short story, in a moment of change where your character is making a decision, making a movement, changing their circumstances. It creates a um, – a situation that you that's, that's going to draw your reader in, and that's what you want. You're, you want your reader to be like, oh, I have to read all this. And they, they sit and they read it, and then they don't put it down. And um, that's what you always want when you're producing either a short story or um, a novella or a full novel, um, a full-length novel. You want to draw your reader in um, so they have to know what happening line ever was in the unspeakable plot, and it's an original character speaking instead of Harry Potter or somebody you might know from the from the Harry Potter series or even my other work, um, where he asks the wizards around him, do we tell the world that magic is dying? And I was like, it's a slap. It's a slap in the face to the reader. Like, oh, shit, why was and then immediately, straight through, all the way straight through that scene, the reader is playing catch-up. What happened? What happened? Why is magic dying? Who did it? How do they fix it? What's going to happen? You know, and that's what you want. You want to punch your reader, not literally, unless they're an asshole, and then literally, um, in the face. You, you want to just be so, oh, what happened? What happened? Tell me what happens. What happens next? And so your first line, your first paragraph, your first scene, the, this is the moment when you grab your reader. This is when readers do deserve a good punch in the face. Yes, this is true. I love my readers. Unless they're assholes. And, okay, let me take that back. I love my readers and some of the ones that are assholes too, but then there's a different kind of asshole that I don't appreciate too much. I'm just saying. Um, 
But when you're working through your story and you're trying to, um, you've, you've got your plot, <laughs> you've got your plot worked out. <laughs> Sorry, someone in the chat room <laughs> nailed that. Nailed that particularly on the head. Okay, so um, when you're starting your story, when you look through your plot and you pick out your first scene, um, you want that scene to grab your reader and make them really invested in your story. So as you're getting ready to plot for July, that's your goal. That's what you want. You want your story, um, your short story to, number one, have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And the next short and junk will be called the middle, and we're going to discuss the middle of the story. But your short story, the first part, your act one, your part one, your scene one, this is the moment when you're setting the scene for your entire story. You're setting the scene for your character and for your reader. This is what happened. And act two and act three of your short story are the ramifications. When you look at it from that perspective, your act one has to be Your pace has to be just right because you don't want to, like, wear your reader out by the time they get to the end of part one because, you know, you have two more parts to go in a short story. All right, that's how I'm structuring mine in three-part um, sections, just like I, just, I did last year where um, I'm the beginning, the middle, and the end because I think it's important to kind of um, demonstrate that kind of craft. Um, especially in the writing environment or challenge environment where I have a whole bunch of other writers around me. Um, and you're just showing others what you got, showing others um, grasp of craft. And um, while, you know, there are a lot of readers on Rough Trade, um, Rough Trade's for writers. And so I hope that when you're looking at my work and when you're looking at other people's work, you're not only being entertained by their work, but you're also um, noticing that the, the craft and how they're growing as writers. Today I was updating the um, the past challenges page, and we have 111 finished projects that have come out, started on Rough Trade, finished, and got put out into the world. That's um, mostly fandom and some original. 111 projects. I have no means of doing a word count because that would require me going to everybody's site and writing shit down and, I'm not doing that for 111 stories, but unless I have somebody who's really obsessed compulsive who'd like to do it for me, and if you do, you feel free to send me an email with that number. Uh, and I appreciate you in advance, little precious weirdo. Anyway, whoever does that, or, or nobody does that, I'm not asking anybody to do it because I sure as hell wouldn't do it. Um, but 111 projects, and all these people who have come to Rough Trade, I hope that each time they come into the challenge, they learn more and more and more, like I do. I learn something about myself um, and my craft every time I go into a challenge. I learn what works. I learn what doesn't. I, I learn what inspires me, and I figure out what doesn't. And it's super important as you go into um, a challenge, especially a short, a short story challenge, that you spend a little time sharpening your craft. Um, and you embrace 
the idea of a short story. One of the most terrible things I see during July are people who, it's okay to fail. Failure is always an option. I've done it. You guys have watched me do it on Rough Tracks. I've I've come grinding to a halt for one reason or another, whether it be a, a personal issue or an, an illness or um, just a realization that I've written myself into something that I literally cannot write. Um, I've done it. But what I hate and what I find extremely offensive, especially during July when the word count is so short, when I see someone go into a story and their plot is so much bigger than the short story format, because in the back of their head they're thinking, I'll just write 10 or 15K for a trade and then finish my story later and it'll be 100K. Now, I have failed rough trade. Um, last year, only two, one of my stories was in the word count, and the other one was almost 20K, but that wasn't on purpose. But when I see someone trying to um, uh, just obviously not even paying attention to the challenge or, uh, right, deliberately leaving things out to make the word count and then come into the um, – the rough draft later and add those things back in and obliterate the word count. What, what I would prefer is for you to go into the challenge prepared to write no more than 15K. Tell me story in 15K. Yes, things get bloated in editing. Absolutely, things happen. You add a scene, you get inspired. That happens, and sometimes you write your beginning, your middle, and your end, and you don't get 15K, you get 21. I know, I did that. But to go into the challenge with the idea that you don't actually have to write a short story, you can write the first two chapters of a novel and act like you wrote a short story, that's just really fucking ugly, people. It, it really is. It, it's really ugly. So I was. I hope that when you're getting ready to um, go into the challenge this time and you're working on your plot, that you really, really go into the challenge intending to write 15K at your maximum. And just because that, that's always my goal, even if I don't. Now, here's the thing. Because I'm not, yes. I failed it, and I did 21K, and I would never um, berate somebody for that for that kind of failure. But when you knowingly go into the challenge with the idea that short story isn't going to be a short story, um, it's terrible. It's disrespectful to me and to all the other participants who are working their heart out to meet the challenge in a honest way. And if you fail honestly, okay, great. Tell me a good story. But right, don't cheat and say you succeeded. You know, don't um, write two chapters of a book and act like it's a short story because that's just not fair to the rest of us who are really trying to hone and develop this particular skill, um, which is super, super important. Um as a writer, to 
kind of hone your craft and work on your craft and um, um, to, to meet these challenges honestly. And, and that's what I would like from you, to meet these challenges honestly. One of the most offensive things I've seen on Rough Trade was during the single POV challenge, which I have to admit was one of the most challenging challenges I ever did. I it, it was immensely challenging for me last November, but I didn't cheat. But I picked up a story to read because I like the summary. And in the first chapter, that author switched POVs four times. They made no effort whatsoever to meet the challenge. This is in chapter one. They switched POVs for four different characters. It wasn't like it was going in between two characters. It would be bad enough, but it was four different. I got so mad, I closed it, and I, I never read the story, even though I was really super interested in the story. I could not read it because it was just like the most, it was like getting so I couldn't have been more clear. Now, sometimes I see you guys, and I'll see your, you'll include your plot and your author notes, and I'll allow them to go, oh, my God, that's not 15K. What are you thinking? And I know you think it's 15K. It's not. And that's really fun to watch, to kind of watch you, you know, uh, shove a big idea in a little space. <laughs> Great. Now I got just Bar- um, Chris Farley in my head. Big guy in a little coat. So you can't tell a big story in a short story. And I think you guys try to do it. And it's honestly just terribly adorable. And that isn't the same thing as um, uh, telling dishonestly either. It's just like you're not, um, you haven't developed the ability to yet, but you will. Um, You haven't developed an ability To, uh... Oh my God, it's gonna stop. Sina's actually doing a workout <laughs> on the completed project. <laughs> stop, halt, decease. I never should have mentioned it. She needs to know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's not who um, sang that song, Sina. It wasn't Enrique. It was Mark Anthony who sung I need I need to know. Don't don't ask me how I know that people. I'm kind of ashamed. It's not as bad as my parasocial confession, I think to the beginning. So your beginning I, I like my beginning to be sharp, like a knife. Just like just again, like a punch in the face. So when you're getting ready to to do your um your your plot for your short stories, if you're a plotter, and I think that actually one of the more challenging aspects of, aspects of trade, especially when we have a maximum word count, is to see a panther come into the challenge in under word count, because it's easier, I believe, for a plotter to meet a word count like that than it is a panther. Um, so it's always interesting to see the differences between the different kinds of writers, the people who plot and the people who don't. Um, 
And I know I spend a lot of time talking about plotting, and uh, that's just my process. It always has been. Um, whenever I pant, things go off the rail pretty quickly, and um, there's usually lots of bodies. Okay, that happens even when I plot, so that's necessarily true. But things go off the rail pretty quickly when I'm a panther, which I don't do that often. So it's interesting to watch come into the Rough Trade Challenge and um, uh, try to meet the word count. Really interesting. I always really enjoy watching that. Um, I did have a body count on um, Darkly Loyal. But then I was like, should I just be counting the trio skills or should I count Dumbledore's skills too? It shouldn't be like my body count or their body count. And I was just like, I don't know. I thought it probably should have been my body count so when it gets pushed on my site, <laughs> my body count would be epic. But just for like that particular story, it wouldn't be, you know, I could – their body count wasn't um, particularly uh, small either. Um, but that was just really funny, and I don't know why I did it. But So when you're getting ready to start your work for um, – um, your plot work for uh, – oh, well, I was thinking about plotting. Is that I talk, I talk a lot about plotting. How many Janai has John killed? Inquiring minds want to know. I think in canon it's upwards of 100. Um, it's easily a hundred or so in Sentinels of Atlantis. Oh, probably easily a, um, over a hundred because there were all the people on the planet. There were the ones that came during the invasion. Um, so easily over a hundred in Sentinels of Atlantis on just deny. Uh, You don't let me go count because that'd be ridiculous. I'm gonna count. I know I'm gonna count it. Is this what I get for encouraging or accidentally encouraging your internet wife to do a word count for rough trade? I don't appreciate that, Julie. <laughs> it's not my fault. Honestly, <laughs> she wasn't the one I thought that would do it. Um, about the plotting. I did think Jilly would be the one to do it. I did. I I really did believe it would be you. I the moment I said it, I thought, oh, Jilly's going to do that. So I'm kind of surprised that it ended up being sent instead of Jilly. I'm just saying. So about plotting and panting, um, I don't. Um, there's nothing wrong with being a panther. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it, um, unless you can't produce an ending. If you find yourself repeatedly not reaching an ending and repeatedly having one work in progress after another is near the middle or what should be the end of your story, or if you find yourself with a never-ending work in progress, then there is a problem with your panting.
What might have been John had a had a big body count. That is absolutely for certain. And you not even counting the ones he killed in Pegasus before he came back to Earth. Julie, do you want to get on the air and talk about that? Okay. Oh, gosh, I forget which one of you is which. Okay. So in the chat room, Julie said there are strategies for panting. Sorry, I just coughed right in your ear. You certainly did in stereo because my new headset has two over-the-ear headphones. It kind of surprised me. I was like, I was about to talk, and I was like, oh, I'm going to cough instead. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you solve the unending panting? Um, so the unending, so there's there's different kinds of pantsers, um, different different manifestations of pantsing. And if you're an and then pantser, um, so there's 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 two there's kind of two approaches to that. There's one is the pantser who comes into it with like I don't know where I'm going, but hopefully I'll know it when I get there. And then doesn't know how to stop adding. Um, the and then pantser, and um, it's important for pantsers to remember that it's okay to not necessarily know where you're going up to a point, but you have to rein yourself in. You have to give yourself limits with pantsing if you want to hit a word count. So you cannot know where you're going in a short story for maybe in a short story for maybe 1,500 or 2,000 words. If you haven't figured it out in 10 to 15 percent of your word count, you need to really stop and have a big long think about what you're doing. So limits is, <laughs> limits is a big deal with pantsing. Is you've got to rein yourself in because that's one of the problems with pantsing is is that it's kind of a it's not, it's a, both a problem and a freedom thing. It's like you have all this this creative energy that is just going to flow, and it, and some people it really flows really well, um, and when it's flowing really well, that's when you get into the and then thing. Um, it's like you know what you're with the end then. It's like you know where you're going, but you can't seem to stop writing, and you keep adding plot points, and your plot gets so big that it gets scary to you, and then you can't figure out how to get out of it. Um, it's sort of like, you know, it's like a plot without punctuation, you know. It has no commas, no breathing space. It's just and then, and then, and then. Um, and actually what I find is interesting about and then pantsers, and that's what I think of them as is the and then pantsers, is they um, often miss the end of their own story. And now, granted, it's not for me to say that your story's over, but it's like, oh, there was an end. That would have been a spot to end. And then there's another plot point. And then, oh, that could have that was that plot point resolved that stuff. And then there's another plot point. And in the case, <laughs> oh, that was a good. End. Oh, and, wait, there was a good ending. My ending. Yeah, it, that's where I would have ended. Like, oh, I could have ended there too. I could have ended there. But it's like in the haste to add more plot points, because often because you're so into your characters, you forget to look for where the end is. Um, and that's why it's important at some point to stop and go, uh, where am I going and what is my end game? And one of the, I think one of the most important strategies for pantsing is you see pantsers write themselves into a corner all the time. <clears throat> and if anybody hasn't um, 
I'm sure you run into this where you're reading a story that's a work in progress, and you're going, wow, how are they ever going to get out of that? And then the author adds another complication, and you go, wow, that's really getting complicated. I can't even begin to imagine how they're going to extricate themselves from that. And then there's another complication, and like, oh, my God, this is just, I'm just riveted by how they're going to extra, you know, get out of this. And then the author just hangs up their hat and abandons the story. It's because all of that seemed like a good idea at the time. You know, it's like pantsers should wear a T-shirt that says it seemed like a good idea at the time. Because it did seem like a good idea at the time, but they had no exit strategy when they went in. So my top advice for pantsers is, well, top advice is give yourself limits. But in terms of how you, pl- how you get, move through your story is never start something in your story that you don't know how you're going to get out of. So if you're introducing a plot point and you just came up with this on the fly, before you put pen to paper, you have to pause in your, in your pantsing landscape long enough to think of the exit strategy. Because you can write yourself into a corner and then you can't figure out how to get out of it. What to do is that Harry Potter has to colonize Mars. You know, I mean, because you can't get out of it on Earth. <laughs> <laughs> So um, my, aside from yeah, the set limit, you, you've written yourself into a corner? No, I've written myself to the point where I'm not sure where my end is and where the next book should begin. Mm-hmm. Because um, I think I had that problem in, um, which remains the only story I've ever pantsed for Rough Trade. And I think that's the reason why I had that stumbling period over it, and also because um, it's the reason that when it came time to put off of trade and to write, to write it privately, I, I realized I had some, I had a hole in it, and that's where the triad filled in my hole. And I would have noticed that if I had plotted it first. And I didn't. And so, unsequel plot remains the only four rough trade. Um, my other pant story, um, it, it's finished. Would be the old black magic. Oh wow! I would never have guessed that was a pant story. Um, well, the, the rough draft was really rough. <laughs> So my rough draft bears um, only a slight resemblance to the final copy, but yeah, my um, old black magic was um, was originally um, no lady holder. Your part was pants. I tried to plot. That's where our problem became a problem. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful and dangerous thing. <laughs> When a plotter and a pantser meet, <laughs> the tea lady gets killed. <laughs> Anyways, um, <laughs> but what happened was, is I had um, broke my foot. 
and I was stuck, and I didn't feel like all I had was my laptop because my husband had left me to go to work, and he left me with my laptop and, um, you know, some snack food. And I didn't want to have to get up and get a notebook, and I always plot on paper. So I just started writing. And even later on when I got to get paper, I got I didn't get paper. I just kept writing. So my first draft of um, that old black magic was entirely pants because I didn't plot before I started. And then I had to go back in my rough draft and, and, and fix all that stuff. Which is something that can be done when you publish finished works. Because panthers are right. really the most published works in progress. Um, mm-hmm. You can always spot a panther when you're reading a whip. Uh, not, I'm not saying all whips are written by panthers. I don't mean that by any stretch of the imagination. But when you're reading a whip, you can tell which ones are plotted and which ones are pantsed for the most part. Um, you know, hyperbolically, if someone is um, a million words into their story and they haven't hit their main plot point yet, this is a panther. <laughs> I was reading a work in progress, and it's a very big work in progress, and I got frustrated with the lack of an ending, so I had to put it down. Mm-hmm. You get to a point and you go, yeah, the writing of, was, that, that kind of was an ending. I'll stop here. <laughs> the writing was good. The characterization was interesting. The world building was fantastic. It hit 500K, and I thought, oh, my God, where's the fucking ending? And it would be different if it was a series, right? It wasn't a series. It was one big book. That's how it entitled. I didn't mean for it to. I didn't actually complain to the author about it. It's their story. They can do what they want. But I I, I can't. (laughs) I I need an ending. It was all foreplay and no orgasm, okay? (laughs) There has to be a payoff. Oh, I you hate know, that. Yeah, Zanana says that uh, um, you can tell a panther because one of, one of the ways to tell a panther is that they ask the readers what they should do next. And I can't think of any more dangerous. I mean, if you want to solicit advice from your readers, go right ahead. I mean, if you're stuck and that's what's going to get you going on. But I, I just honestly, it's like the, the one thing that panthers do, if I could get them to stop doing one thing, it'd be taking reader advice. <laughs> I know, right? Because then you train your readers that that that's okay. And then they take their ass over to somebody else's story or somebody else's site and say, hey, I want this, this, and this, and this, and this, and fuck you. (laughs) Fuck you. I can't believe you get that. You get in the you get in the habit of taking advice and letting people direct your plot. And next thing you know, you start to be more influenced by people's opinions than you want to be. So you think you so you you so you got over your hurdle, and you know now where your story's going. And then there's all these little whispered words on your feedback page, of people going, "Oh well, this would be great, and you could do this." And maybe they aren't even meaning them as legitimate suggestions; they're just speculating. And you're going, "Well, should I do that? Well, should I do that? Well, should I do that?" And you can be, and if you haven't got a, a solid direction. 
or a lot of comfort in being able to blow that kind of stuff off, you can just kind of go like a ping pong ball, you know, like, oh, well, uh, 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 should I? Should I do that? Uh, well, maybe I should go back and change this. And then you get plot holes and plot inconsistencies and you change the romantic pairing midstream and all kinds of bizarre things happen. I read, a, I read an HP story that way once. I was so fucking furious. I could not breathe. I will not name it. I don't think I actually it's all even on why anymore. But I don't read Harry Jenny. I don't read Harry Jenny. I was reading a story that was Harry Hermione, and then halfway through, I wasn't reading the comments, and I should have. I went back and read them later. Um, around chapter 15 of a 40-chapter work, Harry suddenly fell in love with Jenny. And it wasn't love potions. And I was like, what? And so I thought, and I did something I never do. I skipped all the way to the end of the story, and it was a prologue to Harry, Jenny, and their kids. And I went, what the fuck is this? And so I looked at the comment, and had been basically prodding the writer since chapter one, and eventually got their way. And her mind went from being the romantic interest to a gold-digging whore in the space of about 5,000 words. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That would make me insane. <laughs> I, re- I read a story I that was... I read a story that was taken down... No baiting it was eventually taken down, but the, the, it was it was an interesting. Um, they said they didn't know what the pairing was from the outset, so I was taking a chance on this story because there was no declared pairing. But there's like almost no pairing in that, except that it would be a slash pairing. Um, but there's like no pairing in that particular fandom that I, well, for the most part, that I wasn't willing to re- read. So I'm going forward, taking a chance. And there's definitely the author writes in this chemistry between a couple characters, and there's all this comments coming from the audience about their their chemistry and midstream she takes a poll and asks the readers who the pairing should be what the pairing should be and the readers all vote almost all vote mind you i'd like just like i was in i had highs about this i'm like a poll a poll oh my god so the readers (laughs) almost unanimously voted for this where the chemistry was in the story uh, as it was written, because I mean, that was what was there. And so she, you know, so she announces in the next chapter, the winner of the poll was pairing X and there's another chapter. And then she puts up in her author notes, I'm abandoning this story because I can't write away from my OTP. I just can't. I tried and I can't do it. Except she was doing it. Otherwise the chemistry wouldn't have been there. Right. So just don't. I mean, I mean, this is not me telling you what to do with your story. This is just me saying just that, don't. you know, this, just don't. It, it's just letting your readers write your letting your what you're doing is letting you're, you're plotting by committee, and there's no committee that you can't even get two writers two writers usually to agree on the direction of a story, much less a committee of readers. So, in terms of, you know, if you're going to pants and that's where your comfort zone is, limits, don't listen to your readers. 
you do what you want to do, set limits on yourself. Um, oh, the I think the best thing. way to limit your oh. okay, I'll go with one of the things. <laughs> one of the okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh. Okay, I think the best way to limit yourself is you don't have to know how you're going to get there, but I think it's important to know where you're going to end up. If you know nothing else, when you sit down and write, know where you're going to end up. You don't have to have the path. For, you don't have to have the exact path from A to Z, but you just need to know that there's an A and a Z. But loose ends. Pantsers can drag a story on because of loose ends. This is one of the other manifestations of pantsing you get, is that not all the loose ends are tied up. And one of the reasons, well, for starters, not every loose end needs to be tied up because you can leave some things to the reader's imagination. You know, if in the story Cousin Ben came out, we don't necessarily need that loose end tied up about who his boyfriend is or something like that. You know, his storyline as a tertiary character does not need wrapping up. So aside from the fact that not all loose ends need to be tied up, plotters typically don't have as many dangling loose ends because they know where they're tying up important loose ends. But pantsers will often get to where they think the climax of the story is, and it maybe it is the climax of the story, and go, but wait a minute, I have all these plot threads dangling that I never wove back into the story. And all this so stuff they try to in shove it. them into the falling action. Right. And, and then their falling, falling action, action is falls like, apart. What the, and then you get an and then. Because and then. The falling, cause then you add another plot point to tie up loose ends. Well, that's a self-defeating cycle. So... Um, so in a way, if you are a, if you're a diehard pantsers, if you're a diehard pantser, um, take notes. You know, you got to do the work that plotters do, but you do it while you're writing, not before you're writing. I always say it's the same amount of work. It's just, are you doing it while you're writing, or are you doing it before you're writing? So you got to write that stuff down, and know that it needs to be tied up. When I'm writing a, I write sometimes. I write. I always plot to some degree, but sometimes I have this yeah, summary, and then, and somehow I'm going to get there. And so it's sort of like the middle is kind of all pants, but I take detailed, detailed notes about every decision I make as I'm going through that. So A, I don't contradict myself, and B, so that I can work in the things that need to be worked in when it's in the appropriate place. So it's the same amount of work. It's just are you doing it up front, or are you going to do it while you're writing? So, would you consider yourself a pantser or a plotter? I started writing as a diehard pantser. I would sit down and mm. pants my way through half a million words. Um, I ultimately decided that wasn't working well for me. Um, that's how I kind of stumbled into, got really familiar with all of the pitfalls that there are with pantsing. And, how, and I started developing strategies, these strategies I have around the pantsing to try to contain it. And containing my pantsing led to plotting. <laughs> so what's your biggest available pantsing project? Emergent. Something you pants. That, that's all, uh, really? Emergency mm-hmm. pants. I uh, never it, was pants it was pants for about um, 100, 100K or so. And then I sat down and figured wow. out. Wow. <laughs> yeah. 
And um, then my longest plotted story is the journey home. Hmm. Lady Holder's biggest pants project is the slow slide of indifference. You'll see my pants work more often in my short stories. Like I have a whole bunch of little shorts in Stargate Atlantis, um, just standalone stories, and um, one or two in the Sherlock fandom. And all of those are pants. Like practically anything under 5K on my site that you see is pants. Um, but when it comes to a big series like Sentinels of Atlantis, you cannot, you know, let me rephrase that, I could not pants a project the size of Sentinels of Atlantis um, because there are information in the first episode of Sentinels of Atlantis that does not pay off to episode seven or eight. And when you're doing that kind of um, movement through a series of stories, um, I don't know how you could do that, Panting. I couldn't do it. It takes it take lot, lots of notes. My, my in-process notes for Emergence were huge. They were huge because I made all the world building up on the fly. I got to the bonding. <laughs> I, had, I had no clue how that bonding was going to go down when I got to it. I was like... Um, he's going to bite him on the arm. Yeah, sure. And wherever he bites him, there's going to be scales that pop up. Right. And they're going to be, and I, I mean, everything was just made up on the fly. And I just was like, okay, now I got to make some notes about that so I can do it again the next time <laughs> the same way. <laughs> make sure everybody. <laughs> and then I was like, arbitrary decision, like, um, all of the, you know, and I just make arbitrary decisions while I'm writing. Like all of the, you know, um, alpha bands are going to be on the left arm unless it's a triad, and then the subordinate alpha's band will be on the right arm. Just made up completely on the fly. And then I got about halfway through, and I developed in this one. You know, I I just I had decided to put in this whole when I pantsed in the whole line with the ascended stuff mm-hmm. in emergence. I went, you know. This is getting really complicated. <laughs> I need to stop. I need to stop and figure out what the fuck I'm doing. Sometimes pantsing can be really super inspiring. Um, so, like I said before, it's not so much that um, I have a problem with pantsing because I don't. Um, sometimes I'll start something out pantsing just to kind of get my juices flowing. To get, you know, to, if I'm in a rut creatively, uh, that's a good way to just kind of let my brain go and do whatever it wants um, and just see where it goes. And then I'll have to go back, of course. And uh, when it came to Old Black Magic, I did do that. Uh, the, the meat of the story was pants. I think my first draft was around 93K maybe a little less, um, and then I had to go back in and fill in the plot holes because I had several, uh, and I had to kind of rework it a little bit here and there. And so I plotted. I used my rough draft to plot the second draft. <laughs> and I fixed all the little holes in it and all that stuff. So, so even when I pants, I end up plotting. It's Eventually. rare now. In the sh- I think in the the, the short stories, um, I think I could pants a short story at this point, um, and have it still be relatively short. 
But I had, the tightest plot I've ever had to do is short stories, just because I was like, I could pants an epic, but right. to confine myself to, to 10 or 15K, I was like, uh, I, I better know exactly what's happening in this story, <laughs> Well, or I'm going to be screwed. My basic plot for a short story, like 15K, which is my goal for each one of my stories in July, um, is I do three acts, and each act has to do three scenes, and that keeps me from going super overboard. And my first story, I'm going to get the Harry Potter story out of the way, I'm pretty sure, um, because I know I'm going to go overboard count. I don't, I don't. My goal is 15K, but I have... It is really hard to write 15K in Harry Potter. Really hard. It, it not, not in the way it sounds. It's really hard to limit yourself to 15K. Or write I mean, only just, 15K. It's really difficult. I think it has to be the most difficult fandom to write just 15K. Because there's so much world building to play with. And there's some things you can fuck around with. And i got the Sentinel here. And, um... Thankfully, I've already plotted my Harry Potter. I might already plot before I get to July. I don't know. I'm not really particularly fond of a couple of my plot points. We'll see how that goes. Um, but uh, I haven't plotted my Hawaii Five-0 NCIS one. The only thing I have right now for it is the opening scene. And that's it. I want to open it at the Navy Yard with NCIS, you know, Steve coming to get Tony. And I want to end it with, um, I'm on the fence about where I want to end it, and it depends on where I stick it in the timeline. Um, Because I was thinking that maybe I wanted to, um, Steve and Tony in the garage and Danny finding them at his crime scene. Oh, that's a nice place to end. I'm kind of, I'm kind of thinking about it because then you know, that's just kind of where I was thinking about going. Um, so I got the you know the the in between, whereas that Tony meets Steve before his father is killed. Um, and so that would be an interesting um, time period. I just got to figure out what that time period would be for NCIS, and thankfully, um. Julie already has a timeline with Tony, and I lost it. So I want to ask for it again. <laughs> oh, I gotta figure out where Tony is and where the plot is for um, that time period. If I want to match up the timelines, you know, honestly, I don't think I have to exactly do that because I don't think anybody would really care. But I would be interested to know where Tony was in the NCIS canon when Steve was doing um, fugitive apprehension. And before well, he caught Anton Hess. Well, uh, shortly before, not not like maybe six months before that, while, well, while Steve was still on the teams and still out there doing his thing, yeah. Tony would have been in Somalia with SEAL support, getting rescuing Ziva. Really? Uh-huh. Because the first season of 
uh, Hawaii Five O is at the beginning of season eight of NCIS. Beginning of season seven of NCIS, which is a year prior, is when they rescued Ziva from Somalia, and they took a SEAL team with them. Huh. See? That's a lot of appeal, right? And then I could end it mm-hmm. with um, Steve and um, Tony in his dad's garage in Hawaii and Danny coming in on them. Yeah, I like that. I'm going to have to get your time on again, though. Because I, I thought I saved it in my folder, but I didn't. I'll send it to you again. Anyway, <laughs> I, um, so I do have my Harry Potter plotted. Um, I have the beginning and the end, basically, of what I want, I think I want for um, uh, NCIS. Um, so I do kind of want to start it. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I hope you're talking before I make a concrete decision. But I would like to end it with Tony and um, Steve in his dad's uh, garage looking through the the tool box and Danny walking in on them. I think that would be a really interesting place to end it because then that kind of throws the entire um, series of Hawaii folks out in front of them and you know the changes would be kind of epic since there's Tony there already and um, would Steve even try to make Danny be on Hawaii Five-0 if he has Tony hmm so That's an interesting, interesting question because he might because you know of the case and his father and Hest and um all that stuff. It would just be interesting the dynamic that would that would change with, with Tony already being in place. Um, but uh, and so my third story is um, Star Trek, and uh, I have nothing. <laughs> <laughs> You picked a fandom. You threw a. <laughs> I picked a I, fandom. I, I picked. Yeah, I threw I threw darts at a dartboard um, for a bit to pick to pick a couple fandoms, and um, but I did plot them both. Um, I'm finding that uh, I think that much like Harry Potter, that when you overlay a, a, a fandom that has a lot of mythology to it, its own mythology to it that it adds a level of plot complication that makes everything um, bigger. And so my second fandom, I don't know if I'm right for second or third, is um, Lucifer. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of uh, all, the, all the, the god-devil mythology stuff um, is making for a lot of plot bloat. So I'm having to kind of... I'm like, well, that's going to be like 50K. I better tone that down. <laughs> Let's narrow that focus a wee bit. <laughs> the guy that plays Lucifer is so fucking hot. Oh, my God. He is, yes. 
But you know, you don't actually. Um, you could start it before the Lucifer show even begins. Before he has his bar, you can have Tony be the thing that tempted him out of hell. Tempted him out of hell. No, I, I think I'm going to go the direction. He's, it's going to be before he meets the detective. I can't remember her name. Um, but it's going to be because he comes to Earth as Sentinel. So when he takes human form, and he's always mystified by this, that he always is, has Sentinel senses whenever he's in human form. So, um, mm-hmm. um, and his dad does him a solid and gives him a guide. So, her name is apparently Chloe. Chloe, yeah, Chloe, yeah. I keep forgetting. I forget her name. But yeah, so it's going to be before the show, I believe, is where I'm going to set it. But there's just all of this. When you start adding in all of that whole, you know, how I'm going to address all of that, oh, is he really the devil? Of course he's really the devil. It's not as interesting if he's not really the devil stuff. Um, actually, I really want to have that moment where they, they finish bonding and Tony goes, holy crap, you really are the devil. <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> you mean when you say when you say you're the devil, you mean you're actually the devil? Oh my god, I just bonded to the devil. <laughs> so wait, if I go to hell, I'm not going to be tortured, right? Because <laughs> I'm your guide. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I got a pass, right, man? I don't even need that coin thing. <laughs> Making sure we're clear. <laughs> so you're going to do which play fandom? Lucifer, um, Stargate Atlantis. I'm going to do the first book. I'm planning at least a three short story, maybe four or five short story series um, for a completely new world-building thing I'm doing called Primus. I'll be doing that. That's Tony Ronan. Mm-hmm. And then um, Lucifer, obviously Lucifer Tony. And then I'm doing Leverage um, with Elliot Spencer and Tony. I'm yeah. taking Tony on another. Tony on another. Oh, um, I fucking love that one already. <laughs> <laughs> Elliot's my favorite. Elliot's awesome. But I got to do an AU of, of leverage. I've already crafted the, what it's going to look like because I don't see um, sentinel um, sentinel thieves, even reformed thieves. So have to work on that. But actually, I already did it. I already figured out the, the what the leverage is going to be. So um, I'm going to have <laughs> Nate and Sophie. Nate is going to be um, a guide. Sophie's his sentinel. Parker's a sentinel. Alec Hardison is is her guide, and then um, of course he is. <laughs> of course he is. I'm super I ship excited. Those, I ship those two so hard. Um, and then uh, of course Elliot's the lone sentinel on the team. Until Tony shows up, of course. But I do know where all of the stories are starting. Um, 
I do have the start on all the stories. I think I've got the end on all of them, too. Actually, I know I do on the Primus one, but um, some of the middles are fuzzy, very fuzzy. <laughs> the middles are always kind of fuzzy. I think that um, that if you're a panther and you're going into um, these short stories for July, that um, here's some things you need to keep in mind. Um, even if you don't know how you're going to get there, um, know where you're going to end up. Um, two, try to limit yourself to a single event. Treat it like an episode versus a novel. A novel is a series of events and their implications thereof. A short story is a single event and the implications thereof. So if you pile events on, you're going to exceed your word count like mad, whether you're a plotter or a panther. So you need that one event and all the ripples that come around it and to write a short story. And so um, that's just how I do it, how I keep myself um, into some kind of uh, – um, box when it comes to a short story. Although I did up the word count this year because last year it was 10K <laughs> maximum. No, it was, 10, it, was 10 to 15, it was 10 to 15 last year. It was 10 was the year it? before. It was a hard 10 the year before. Ah, yeah. yeah, that was difficult. Um, and, the, and it was a hard, the, the year that it was a hard 10, wasn't that the year we did Harry Potter and Stargate Atlantis? I think so. Because that was called the fandom too. Yeah, and that's when I my Harry Potter yeah. came at twenty five k. It was like, well, so much for ten. <laughs> look at this! Look at this hussy in the chat room bragging. Do you see this lady horses and I made both? <laughs> she certainly did. She made her word count for both. I I'm pretty sure I did. I'm not even sure I, what I wrote for those first two. You wrote no, the one sure where John and Rodney out. were in the VR thing for the FGA one. Oh, they're yeah, in, the, um, in the jungle. I'm drawing a blank on the name. Know. Yeah, dangerous. And know. Harry, Harry Potter, Harry Potter, Harry Potter. Why can't I bring that to mind? Probably because it wasn't 10K. <laughs> It it didn't make 10K. That much is a guarantee. Oh, it was mag- um, The Magical Promise. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. I made the 10K on the Stargate Atlantis one. I actually got a, had a little bit of a so there moment with it is that when I wrote it, I, like, edited the last couple sentences in the rough draft to hit 10K exactly. Like it's going to be ten thousand words on the money since I screwed up with with the Harry Potter story, and then of course you know when it actually got edited, edited it wound up being like ten thousand one hundred words or something. It is easy to blow through ten thousand words without without even um, putting putting much thought to it if if you haven't put thought to it. 
Um, I think the most tightly plotted story I ever did was Anomaly, um, and I had a 10K minimum. And I, it's one of the rare times when I plotted something almost down to the word count, and it came in at 500 words under, and I almost had a heart attack. Mm-hmm. I was like, wait a minute, I have a minimum on this one. I can't turn it in for my grade if I don't get 500 more words. What the fuck? Oh, add a blowjob. Yeah, add a blowjob. <laughs> well, then I, then I had to find a reason for there to be a blowjob, and it was like because, you know. <laughs> so there, once I put in the reason for the blowjob, I think I brought my word count up to almost 11,000, but it was like, <laughs> it was, like it, was a, it was a long blowjob. You know what, though, from a man's point of view, I would say there, you don't have to have a reason to have a blowjob. <laughs> you just need a semi-private location and ten minutes to spare. And the semi-private location is sort of optional. Um, I, uh, I just, I don't do, I don't, I just, I like sometimes I like reading purely gratuitous sex, but I don't do well just writing purely gratuitous sex. It happens purely that I can go. Oh, I'll just find a spot between two scenes where it's not jarring and a, an empty corridor and have a blowjob here. No, it was definitely the magical promise. Um, yeah. Are you still there, Julie? I am here. So it was the magical promise okay. was the was your Harry Potter from that two years ago. Yeah, and it ended up being like twenty five K, so I just like totally blew that word count. But like I said, it's really difficult to write um, Harry Potter in a short form. Because it, there's just it, so it, much to really with it. Hard. I got close last summer with the word counts. I, I came in um, right around word count on two, and I went over by, like, 3K on the All Your Reasons. Um, I kind of knew going into All Your Reasons that I wasn't at a 15K plot. Um, but I just tried to keep the writing as tight as I could so that it would come in under 20. And I did succeed at the under <laughs> 20. But, you know, I was like, I'm really pushing to do 15K. I don't think it's possible. So I was actually pleased that it came in at 18K. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, yeah, just went over the word count a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> because I could have gone way over with this one. But, uh, so, Harry Potter is difficult to keep under word count. I mean, you know, and yet, and yet still, knowing that, I still put it on my list for my, because I can't stop myself. I know, and you said several times, like, I can't do a Harry Potter one. I'm never going to make the word count. <laughs> and then and what I do? You put it in a Harry Potter Harry one. Potter. I certainly did. I certainly did. <laughs> but if you're if you're if you're gonna pants, um, uh, you know the funny thing about it is that as much as important as the ending is important with pantsing, it's also the beginning. Is that you not give your too, yourself too much room for um, exposition? Because when you're pantsing, exposition can run away with you. Right. And I think the best advice your that I ever – Yeah, I think the best advice I ever heard was something you said on a radio show when you were talking about 
um, the writing short story. You said start in the middle. And I went, oh, I can just cut out all that stuff of explaining everything. Sure, why not? <laughs> I'll start in the middle. You should always start in the middle. I mean, it's, you know, it's in the middle of an event, in the middle of a moment. Um, it really, you know, brings your your reader in and connects them to your character, especially if your characters want to do something traumatic or something exciting that you can infect your reader with that trauma. <laughs> or alternatively, that excitement, you know, it's just because you want them to um, move with your main character through your, through your story. That, that's how yeah. I approach it. Too much upfront exposition can really turn me off of a story uh, mm-hmm. where everything is explained about exactly how they – when it's all explained before the plot, you know, how they got here, how it happened. It's not starting in the middle if you explain everything that happened up to that point. You know, if you've got 5,000 words of exposition before your first event, well, you're not going to make your word count. Um, and it's not really no. starting in the middle. One of the best ways you can do to train yourself to start in the middle is to start with a piece of dialogue. Mm-hmm. Literally start your story in the middle of a conversation. Um, then you've accomplished starting in the middle, and you've skipped over any exposition that you might be tempted to put in at that first moment. And if you start it with a piece of dialogue, especially if it's really exciting dialogue, you can... Um, Kind of work your way into it's just it's it's an exciting way to do it if you if you start with dialogue, and if you don't start with dialogue, you need to start with action. Something like like a I don't know it it's difficult to explain once you've been doing it for a very long time. You just need to kind of drag your reader into your story, um, and if your character treat your main character like the window into your story for your reader. And so, and in doing that, you kind of draw them along as you tell your story. But if you're having a difficult time picking out the middle of the start, start with a piece of dialogue. And that way you can... It uh, it just it really opens you up and it creates a situation where your reader is immediately drawn into the to the scene. Um, I want the story recall. where the oh go ahead. No, go ahead. Sorry. Oh well, I want to the story where the first line was a piece of dialogue and it would fuck you. <laughs> you had and you I had mentioned like, about starting. That's perfect oh, first dialogue. Oh, fuck you. That was my introduction to that character, and I fell in love. Go ahead. You had mentioned last uh, last summer um, when we were prepping for Rift Trade about starting with dialogue if you couldn't figure out where to start. And I think in two of my stories uh, last year, I started with a line of dialogue. Um, and one of them was, uh, I think the first I think the first words were Danny saying to Steve, you should get a guide. And that's the first line in the story. Um, mm-hmm. And Steve kind of goes, what? <laughs> Where'd that come from? And Daddy's like, "Well, I think it could be a calming influence on you." <laughs> so it <laughs> it starts right into their dynamic, 
which people should hopefully would be familiar with and get them into a familiar flow with with the characters so that they already feel like that they're engaged. It's like, oh, yeah, this is familiar. I know this. Danny's giving Steve a hard time. Steve is ignoring it, you know. Oh. Um. Oh, one of the other things that people do that can eat word count, um, I was talking to some of this about somebody about this, oh, gosh, about two months ago, I think. I actually might have been in preparation for April. But um, it's one thing panthers do is because they're planning their story as they're writing it, is they tend to get caught in details that don't matter. It's like, okay, my character, so you aren't really clear on what's going on, what's going to happen next. You're just kind of working your way through the scene. Working your way through the scene. So, like, the character picked up his shoes, he put them on, he put on his backpack, he thought about this, he walked out the door. When really all you need to say is he grabbed his shit and walked out the door. But that to me is a typical, um, something I see in some panthers is that they write it as they're, as it's coming to them. It's the way they see it. Are we picking on somebody? Lady Holder used to do that a lot. Like she's better oh, did now. She? she doesn't do that anymore. Yes. Oh no! So I, I, I was actually something talking. that panthers do. Yeah, is they they are writing it as they're envisioning it, and because it's not planned, um, I actually haven't seen a whole lot of that in Lady Holder's writing. But okay, um, that in it, because they're writing it as they are planning it. As this, as this came up with somebody that I was um, working with uh, a couple months ago is that if they stop, if they plan where they're going before they actually put the words down, even if it's just the scene before they start to write, you won't get caught in all that detail that eats up your word count, which is fine for a longer story. If you want to walk through every motion in the scene in a longer story, but if you're trying to have word economy, you can't afford it. You can't afford to walk through every pace of your character in every scene. You'll just be lost. I used to do that. I used to um, literally care what color the curtains were. <laughs> well, I, I think I have a little bit of a different obsession um, as opposed to writing it as it's coming to them, as it is trying to set the scene. Um, I used to try to account for where every um, – when I was – and this was something I would do characteristic of my pantsing – when I was a diehard pantser, is I would account for where every limb was in a sex scene, every finger constantly, constantly referring to the left, <laughs> right, left hand, the right hand. And then I get these contradictions because I had the two left hands doing something completely different. I'm like, oh, wait. <laughs> when the hand doesn't matter, it's because that's how it was coming to my brain. I was envisioning it as I was writing it. And so the left hand mattered to me in that moment because, like, I see his left hand reaching out, but then I would forget that the left hand was the one that was, you know, up somebody's butt, and I would do something with the left hand again. And it's like, isn't the left hand in his ass? Well, then how in the world did it get on his dick? No. So I had to, you know, um, I 
had to train myself out of that because it really does. And not only that, it's hard to read because you start trying as the reader to keep track of what that left hand and right hand is doing and where the socks went. And you accounted for everything but his left sock. Why is he in bed with a left sock on? (laughs) (laughs) But no, I mean, it's just something that um, new writers do. And, um, Part of your craft is working through these issues and um, finding different, better ways to do that. And uh, I think that sometimes panthers, um, and maybe that's why Lady Holder feels picked on, because we're talking about panthers so much, and she is a panther. <laughs> but um, one of the common pitfalls of panting is that... Uh, <laughs> Is that, okay, as a plotter, I know 10,000 things about my character that may or may not end up in the story. Um, And a lot of new writers who also pants know 10,000 things about their character, and they all end up in the story. Things that you literally don't need to know, and yet Mm -hmm. you do. (laughs) And when you're a plotter, you can pick and choose those. But when you're a panther, it just kind of all falls out. And I do it when I pant, and then I have to take it all out when I do my second draft. But you have to do what works for you. People are so stymied by the plot process that they're a better writer when they don't try to plot. Yeah, well, and there are degrees of plotting. Somebody just made a comment about losing interest in the story when they plot. Um, I've overplotted stories. I've overplotted them to the point that I went, well, gee, that felt written. Uh, That would have been a 400,000 word epic. And I've got two notebooks that say so, and I'm done. (laughs) Um, And I have to be really careful not to overplot because that will take me um, right out of any interest in the story. If I plot, I mean, I know I've I've talked to writers toward every scene in their novel. I admire that they can do that. I would never write another thing if I did that because the writing would all be done by the time I finish storyboarding it. It's why I don't use um, Scrivener. I don't use Scrivener either. Scrivener encourages me to overplot, and I just I would never get anything written. Uh, I. Um, I rely a lot. I don't call it. I don't call it really pantsing anymore. But I do rely on. on how do I put this? Um, I don't always know what order my events are going to happen in because I wait to see how it feels as I'm writing it. Uh, I know dependencies like these things have to happen in a in a certain order, but I'll maybe have 50% of my plot points, you know, written out, but not in order. And I wait to find the right place. I usually plot, like, plan that kind of stuff, like, two or three chapters in advance. Like, okay, the next chapter I'm going to grab these four plot points and wrap them up. But I, if I plot to the degree that I know exactly what order every plot point is going to happen in, I won't write the story because I've written it in my head and I'm done. And I know this about myself, so I don't do it. And I think that you have to find – every writer has to find that balance for themselves um, between, you know – 
if, if, you, if the only way you can rise to be a sheer panther, then be a sheer panther. Just sit down with nothing and see where it goes. Um, but if you need to find that you're not getting anything done and you need to contain it a little bit, you've got to find the right balance for you between plotting and pantsing. And even if it just is having um, literally writing down my, the beginning, the middle, and the end and saying what those three things are and then writing, that gives you more structure without um, confinement, I think. I agree. At least it does me. Because I, I, I consider that still plotting. I mean, I think people have this perception of plotting, like you're going to come up with a storyboard or something, or you're going to have flowcharts, or you're going to have a mind map, or you're going to have something, some large, tangible thing that looks like a plot when you're done. Um, My shit never looks that way. Mine doesn't either. I, do I think cl- every... I know you cloud plot initially. I do cloud initially. plotting. Yeah, I do. yeah, that's just for brainstorming. And um, then I have plot points, um, and, I, like, I'll do, like, okay, plot point one, two to three scenes, and I might have a goal for a chapter. This is where I need to go. Um, I have a storyboard for Sentinels of Atlantis because Sentinels of Atlantis is a whole different animal. <laughs> but when Some I things get Sentinels really complicated. I don't mean that I have a storyboard for each episode. I mean, I have a storyboard for the series. And there's a big difference. When I say, okay, I need these 15 events to happen in season one and these 15 events to happen in season two, I need this to be resolved by the end of season two. Their goals and um, titles, I have all the episodes titled for season two, and each episode has a goal. Um, and that's part of my storyboard for the overall arc of the um, series. So when I go into an episode, I know what needs to happen and I know what needs to be, which isn't the same kind of plotting that I would do to say a novel. Because I'm not writing a novel, I'm writing an episode, and when an episode, it surrounds a single event. Yeah. People have this, I've talked to people um about plotting, and I think that there is this misperception a lot of people have about what a plot looks like because they see examples online or whatever, and they think it's some you know really big elaborate thing, um, and it doesn't have to be anything more than you could have a summary that just describes the beginning, middle, and end, and that's it. That could be that's a plot. I'm trying to find. Maybe it's at the end. I shared something last year about the different types of plotting um, on the Rough Trade group on Facebook about different plotting styles. And, um, okay, structure. How to outline. And so it's how, how to write an outline. And the, the guy who wrote the article talks about the different types of um, outlining they can, they can be. And he talks about that he's a um, – he actually flat out says in the article that he is a uh, panther at heart and a plotter by necessity because he's a professional writer. And he describes um, a bunch of different ways of approaching a plot. And some of them are very, very, very simple. Very straightforward, write a summary, move on. I think he calls that the um, book jacket method of plotting. 
is you're basically writing what you would write like in a book jacket or as a summary of a novel, and that's your plot. Uh, but it was actually it's a really good way to kind of dig in and see what kind of what kind of thing works for you and try different things. He talks about the pluses and minuses of each style, um, and I would say that I'm a hybrid of a couple different styles that he talks about. Um, but it, I think it's this. Uh, it doesn't have to be this advanced uh, skill where you need complex tools to get through it. And so I don't think it. I think it. There, you know, I really, if I could like get one thing through to some of the panthers I know who wish they could plot more, is that they probably can, because it's not the complex thing that it is often made out to be. And I just found the link. I'll put the link in the um, in the uh, summary. It's called How to Outline Your Novel, The Options. And one of the things he talks about in the article is he says, he talks about the facts of doing an outlining, which is basically plotting. He says, an outline will not destroy the magic or any of that supernatural Pegasus shit. I believe very much that writing and storytelling feels like magic while at the same time being a wholly gloriously mundane activity. Further, if something like outlining is capable of stealing the lightning from your story, then what you had wasn't so much as lightning but a static electric spark, like when you rub your foot in pajamas on the carpet. Call me back when you have contained actual lightning. <laughs> if outlining destroys your writing magic... Okay. If out, outline yeah. destroys your writing magic, editing, rewriting is going to fucking obliterate it. And that's the truth. It is the truth. Editing is soul-sucking. Now, since Lady Holder is actually on the phone, I'm going to put her on um, and put her on the spot about her pantsing, unless she hangs All up right. on me. <laughs> Hello. 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 How's your ears? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. With my double headset on, too. I know. Go away, please. So, Lady Holder, tell us about your pantsing and what you've learned since you started writing and what you do today. I'm very curious. Um, I actually already know. I want you guys to know. Things are a little different now when I when I actually um, write because there's at least an emotional outline. Hang on, I gotta get off my headset here. But there's normally an emotional outline at least when I'm uh, when I'm doing a story because um, I may not. Uh, I may not have, you know, point A, point B, point C type thing, but I'm always going to have a what I want to get out of it now. Hello, am I on? I'm here. Yeah, I, I'm on. Okay. I just Sorry, want to interrupt. Quiet. <laughs> um, before, when I, when I did Slow Side of Indifference, I am not joking. The first thing I wrote, considering I got 
Double Dog Dared um, to do it basically was that first chapter and there was no there was no end in sight to that thing. Um I had nothing when I started it. Oh now one little insert. I wasn't the one who double dog dared her. That wasn't me. No. no. <laughs> that really was not you. Um it was Muriel or I can't remember all the other ways she or other names she goes by in fandom but it was it was uh, somebody else entirely, and um, she she and I had been talking and and you know um, doing a lot of stuff together, and she basically double dog dared me to go write, and I did, and it blew up to be you know almost fifty k. One of the ways that I knew then to keep track of everything was, you know, to to reread it, you know, read what I wrote before, make sure that there was some continuity. Um, for being a pretty much pure pants all the way through, I keep continuity pretty well, which was one of the major things I was trying to do with that so that way I didn't have – um, major problems with it. The sequel, um, it wasn't pants so much. Um, it had that, the, the outline I have for it is emotional, you know, emotional tones, what I want to get out. Uh, occasionally when I want to have, you know, certain events to happen, um, the the fun part the the part that really slowed it down is I didn't do research ahead of time so things like um, figuring out what was plausible took more time and that uh, if I had been in depth probably would have you know shown up and I could have you know done all the the, the research ahead of time yeah but. Circus saying the rest is history. Yeah, it it was, and and I still do a lot more straight up um, writing on the fly than than you know I do in depth um, actual plotting because my plotting is mostly around rough trace. That's pretty much all, the only plotting I do. Which has to <laughs> make you the word count? all sorts of twitch. Pardon? Is that because of the word count? Yep. It's exactly because of the word count. You know, if I've got um, if I've got something that I've got to meet a word count, I know that you know I've got this many words to get the, these emotional points out, and I can do it in that. And April's is never going to be that. I'm I'm blowing past that particular (laughs) one like there's no tomorrow. It's going to be my one that is never going to hit word count. (laughs) So, eh, whatever. Now, what are you doing um, for um, Rough Trade for July? What I'm doing for Rough Trade is um, 
I have obviously three sentinels. Uh, one is going to be in an established universe. Actually, two are going to be in an established universe. One is going to be um, completely separate, I think. Because um, I don't think I actually included them in the universe in question. It's, um, it's going to be on secret mm-hmm. shit. I'm opening it up, sorry. I am, um, okay, the three uh, um, fandoms are Scarecrow and Mrs. King, Criminal Minds, and Stargate SG-1. And Scarecrow and Mrs. King and Criminal Minds are going to be in the the, uh, Lion Rampart universe. And Stargate SG-1, I actually need to go back and reread Rampart because I don't think I actually put it in uh, with Stargate. You know, so um, given that, it's probably going to be a complete standalone. And the (laughs) the basic facts of it are Scarecrow and Mrs. King, um, I have, well, I'm, I'm never going to not Cross, um, Lee and Amanda. Those two are my my OTP in that particular fandom forever and ever and ever. Um, but it's uh, how they get together, and frankly, Lee is the Alpha Sentinel in charge of um, the DC area before Jethro, and the only reason he steps down is. He basically he's got no choice. You know, there's there's reasons for him, and I'll figure those out as I go along. Um, so, no, no, that that panting hurt my heart. Oh my god, I'll figure it out as I go along. Oh. Well, the thing I'm dead is over I here. Dead. Okay, dead. excuse me. I'm only halfway through that, or actually about three quarters of the way through. So I know the <laughs> beginning and the middle of that. The end of it, I haven't I'm figured out yet. Yeah, you're going to have even bigger howl when you hear what happens next. Criminal Minds, the only thing I've got on there, um, again, this is, um, it's going to be a three-piece, you know, three acts. um, And my whole plot document so far is set after Lion Rampart, where Spencer has all his training and comes back to the Sentinel, vignettes of Spencer's training, and the line, stop observing life and live it. Again, I haven't done anything on this. Okay? So I've got a whole idea of where that's going to be, what's going to be happening, but it's there's a lot of filling in the blanks on that. All right? Um, the Stargate SG-1, this one has a lot more. Because it's going to be set in the movie, the original Stargate mm-hmm. movie, with <laughs> with the series. I'm super um, excited. I have to watch the movie before yeah. July happens. <laughs> yeah. Yes, Jilly, the Stargate movie. I'm so Only excited. I'm, I'm not actually going to use Kurt Russell and and 
um, what's his name for, uh, from the movie, the, the movie Daniel. Unfortunately, all I can see with movie Daniel is the actor as he later played a, a very scummy lawyer with a heart of gold, and that's just basically who sticks. You know, oh, Spader, that's it. Um, and it's just, no. So it's going to be um, Richard Dean Anderson. <laughs> and Julie comments that she sees Spader as the blacklist now or maybe Ultron. Yeah, I can't see Ultron getting a Woody. It just doesn't work. Um, <laughs> oh, God. Did you actually say that? <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> Yeah. Ultron so, and Woody in the same breath. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I think Ultron would be a guide. <laughs> I think Ultron would be a dormant guide if he was anything. He's he's just more than slightly unhinged. Don't judge. He can be vision okay, his guide. That you do it first, not me. <laughs> Tag, you're it. And Sorka offers instead of a Woody a Timmy. So, um, a Timmy. The... Oh no! Oh dear. <laughs> Great. Now I've got now I've got um, visions of the Timmy getting a boner. <laughs> I could walk away the hours consulting with the flowers, consulting with the rain. And for Mr. King, it all just came together. Yes. Um, and but the thing with um, Stargate is, unfortunately, Charlie still dies. And um, it's a case where Jack is latent. And this one is about half plotted. And... Um, the Air Force knows that Jack is latent, and they have done everything they can to get this man to come online and allowed stuff to continue to happen in an effort to get him to come online, and it never did. And uh, when basically the the line is, is um, the prison that he was in in the Middle East that is mentioned in the Black Hole episode. Um, When he came out of that, the Air Force stopped um, trying to get him to come online. And he started doing other things. And in the course of of his time away, because we never see in the, the one flashback we have, he comes home healthy. So he doesn't or anything. Um, Charlie still dies. And the same events basically happened that lead up to uh, him being grabbed for what amounts to a suicide mission and off he goes. Well, he meets up with Daniel as Daniel is being impressive with the chalkboard and looks at him and ignores what he's seeing. And he's going to die. He's not going to take anybody else with him. So My heart already hurt. I'm yeah, so I know. It's kind of... <laughs> <laughs> well, 
what makes this more fun is for those those people who um, you know have access to the net at the moment. Jack O'Neill has a fairly fairly typical for a pilot spirit animal. His spirit animal is a golden eagle, and they're pretty pretty birds. Daniel Jackson's um, spirit animal is about as cute and fluffy and and puffy as he looks to be and oh so harmless looking it's not it's a sand cat and for their size they're incredibly deadly they and just, adorable they it's, look incredibly it's the center adorable. of wild cat it's the center yes, of wild it cat so it it pretty much is and the thing is is it looks so cute and you could say that about Daniel, and then he'll fuck your shit up. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's um, you know, and by the way, he's named his little cat Bast because he is an Egyptologist. And so, you know, that may later, if I keep following this thing, it may later, you know, come to bite him on his butt because, you know, he may or may not get to actually meet Bast. And then there's his cat who's <laughs> looking at this, <laughs> looking at this thing going, bitch, go away. <laughs> you know, all good things. So um, those are the three I'm going to be doing. And... <clears throat> Like I said, for the most part, my plotting of them is not actual in-depth plotting the way you do it. Um, mine is finding the emotional connections and uh, moving from one item to another. Um, yeah, it's perception of plotting, yeah. that I guess that could be it. But this is this is where I plot, you know, um, what would, what will really make Kira's hair go curly if it isn't already. Um, I'm even, I, I do even less when I do the professional stuff. <laughs> oh, God. And that's why I ironed my hair today. Hmm? I, I flat ironed my hair today. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't realize that. <laughs> but that um, may have made it curly. Yeah, probably. A little bit. Yeah. But it's it's really truly the, the case of I look at something and I go, okay, well, you know, I've got this and this is the end point and let's go play our way through. I'm kind of yeah. But also, um, I'm very aware of her process, and um, it's always interesting to um, to see. Uh, <laughs> this is a weird habit I have, and I'm going to admit it. Sometimes I will, um, when I know a writer is a, a panther, I will like go through their work and just try to figure out how their brain is, you know, how how their brain is working this down. And it's really interesting to see the shifts and the turns and try to figure out what they were thinking when they went this direction or went that direction. Um, so it's just really interesting to see. Um, but what's also interesting about Lady Holder's work is that um, she has a well of talent 
And um, as she gets experience and develops these skills and um, really explores her craft, there's just this uh, bound of... Um, you can... It's kind of hard to put my finger on how to say it. It's just... Um, I don't know. <laughs> it's, She's awesome. It's more than a, but yes, yes, of course. But it's it's more than improvement because we all improve with our writing. Every time we sit down to write, we are a little bit better. Our craft is a little bit sharper. But sometimes, especially when you've been exposed to a writer for a very long time, the way I have, and I see Lady Holder's rough work, and then I see her final product. Um, sometimes a writer will will take a a, a leap and a bound over a craft skill that's a stumbling block for me and I want to stab them. And she said that to me several times where I've seen her and just move on like a jet. And I'm like, fuck you, that took me two years. But then other times, um, I feel like I've um I've kind of helped her with spots that I thought were oh, yeah. really easy that she stumbled on. And so it's um, having a partnership with another writer in, um, you know, interacting with other writers, you pick up skills and you learn how to maneuver your way through craft choices um, just by interacting with other writers. It gets, um it gets interesting for me because when I do um, some of those leaps and dashes that you're talking about, um, sometimes it's because I've been watching you do the item, okay? And in watching you, do, you know, do it, I learned how. I learned the, the correct methods, you know. So I, I've had that two-year learning process, it's just I've been watching you do it. So, you know, when I incorporate something, it's, um, yeah. You're learning it through osmosis? osmosis? (laughs) Yeah, basically. It is curious because it'll be like, whoa, 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 whoa. When did you learn how to do that? Oh, look at you. Look at you, Cal. (laughs) I don't mean that. One of the, the things that, that um, scene changes, I used to do hard scene changes where I'd put that little, looks like a bit of lace in between everything. And <laughs> um, I don't do know. She used to do hard breaks between her POV changes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh. It drove me fucking insane. Uh huh. Completely barmy. And I got a whole bunch of, would you stop doing this? I don't need the loss of sanity. And I'm going, what? It, 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 I'm moving from one person to another. Aren't you supposed to def- define that? No. Okay, fine. I stopped doing that now. Space, space, space. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of new, a, a lot of new authors will do that because they don't know how to shift 
um, between POVs smoothly. So instead of doing that, they'll do a POV break. Um, and there was a time when POV breaks were actually um, more acceptable than they are now uh, in, in, in the professional arena. Um, now doing a POV break is um, considered bad form. But even like 15 years ago, you could do it easily and no editor would blink at it. So it's just how the craft evolves and how publication standards evolve change that. Um, mm-hmm. But I had an editor tell me once that if I couldn't transition POV smoothly, I didn't need to fucking do it. And I went, yes, ma'am. <laughs> and the really okay. crazy thing is, is, yeah, the really crazy thing is, is we, since we did that, that one POV thing, you know, sticking in, in the one, it's actually really easy for me to, for the most part, stick in one POV. I haven't head hopped in a while. Okay. It was a really good um, episode. Episode. It was really good. It was a really good challenge for bringing um, POV awareness to people who struggle with that. Mhm. It certainly taught it me really a lesson. Was. Yeah, you hate it. <laughs> I loved that you challenge. That? I'm not. I'm not. A, I'm not gonna lie. I loved it. Uh, it didn't bother me. It actually was for me pretty easy because I, I, you know, I got to settle in. I had to figure out in some cases how to make sure that information that was being um, developed by another character in another area completely outside of my my um, focus person's, you know, site was going to be transferred over, how you could see it. But... Um, I had to. Uh, it, it was. It made me move. It made me. Um, it made me stretch. And I find I actually don't mind that. And I and uh, what I'm writing now, I am flipping between two POVs. But it's a. It, it's a deliberate. This is what I'm doing. It's not. You know. It's not sliding from one head to the other. Which sounds really weird, but whatever. Get all up in there. Hmm? I said, get all up in there. I kind of felt like slime, you know, oozing my way into people's heads, you know. <laughs> Great, I mean, now I've got visions of gold in my fa- in my head. But sometimes mm-hmm. you do wind up writing in someone's POV that it kind of you kind of come out of it and you go, I just needed to not do that again. You know, um, there are some times when it would have been incredibly easy just to, you know, slide to the right and, you know, um, be out of the head that I was in and actually into the head that was that was doing the action, not just, you know, the one observing the action. And it it would have made it a little bit easier because, you know, then you could – word economy – you know, you could you could figure out how to how to you know get all of the the information out and not have to um, figure out what actually happened and then you know figure out how to actually get it across. You know, it, I don't know. It, it was it was a very different um, way of writing on the last last one. I enjoyed it. So you know, hey, I'm I was fine with that. Now, do I think we're going to do it again? Probably not. Because if I, I think if do we do a single POV challenge, it will not be during nano. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, but the worst you know, part about that challenge is that I'm still working on Dropy Loyal, and because it's all written from <laughs> Harry's point of view, I simply compelled to finish it in his point of view. So now I'm torturing myself in private. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm all tortured over here. You know that one. I think. Um, I could see I could see why you would have um, three point of views in that story because you had three main characters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it would mm-hmm. it would require a fair amount of going back and and fiddling with stuff. Yeah. By the way, much. one. Yeah, one of the the ways and and just as a FYI, one of the ways I actually do when I pants legitimately pick up a a line or something and just go. Um, the freeform plotting that you and I did uh, the other week where I basically mm-hmm. picked, you know, started one area and just, you know, went and, and moved forward. In a lot of ways, that's how I actually do write. Um, it's finding that, that starting point and moving forward and just writing it out. Um, now, does it mean that all of it's going to actually make it into the story? No. Uh, editing is your friend, and it makes you sound less like you know either Yoda or somebody who has you know diarrhea of the mouth. Um, but it <laughs> it works. You know, it's it's it to me. I I my visual on your plot process and from that episode is like, um, it's like an unspooled an un, an uncoiled thing of yarn just in a heap, and and it's mm-hmm. like you you it's like you spool it in the process of plotting. <laughs> it's like you just pick up threads until you find the one that, you know, oh, this is the next part to spool up. And then at the end, you've got a ball of yarn. And I'm like, how did she go from, you know, kitten toy to a ball of yarn? It it was it was a very interesting experience because either that or like a plate of spaghetti. I, I'm not sure which. Actually, picking up picking up pieces and analyzing them going that doesn't work put them down but I might come back to it later and it was so foreign to my plot process which is more like uncoiling going doing the opposite almost uncoiling and creating mm-hmm. the yarn mess as opposed to undoing a so, yarn mess it was interesting to give you yeah to give you an idea of the way if I'm going to mentally um you know put it in a picture for me it's it's weaving you know, I've got all these different schemes that, that I'm going to be uh, using, all these different ideas, and some of them may or may not get used. Um, some of them might get looked at and, and you, know, do, you know, held up to the final result. Does this work? And put aside, and then what I come up with at the end is, you know, something that is a, a complete whole, but when you look at what I started with, it's just like, what the fuck did you do? And I'm aware of it. You know, and that's how I see it when I, if I have to actually put a picture to it. Hmm. Okay. You're taking a hill. Hmm? <laughs> Jilly is like a, she's very, see hill, take hill. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you were to use, if you were to use the weaving example, I picture I'm going to weave 
and then find pull, only pull out the threads that are going to make that picture. Whereas I think you craft the picture as you're weaving. As like, yeah. Yeah. That's basically it. I see that. Mhm. And Kira's in the in the corner with you know the diagram going. Okay, at this point, I'm going to need this much yarn to do this with that, and yeah, she's a lot more methodical than we are. Huh. Okay, we're down to 90 seconds, and I don't want to take any um, I don't want to be psychoanalyzed anymore. <laughs> you don't know said awful lot about my character, didn't it? Just me in general, right? Oh, yeah, they're plotting well, yeah. how much yarn I need for a square. Mm-hmm. This is true, though. It's, it's very true. I even um, go to the grocery store with a list categorized um, in order yes. of product availability around the store. Um, anyway, yeah, trust me, I know you guys that one. have a great week. We'll, um, I'll do another show this week about the middle of the story and it will probably be a short and jump versus what turned into a bitch craft session and um you guys have um a great evening and don't do anything i wouldn't do and remember it's okay. super important no ass to mouth Ass to mouth <laughs> bye-bye everybody shut up and sit down, down.